I think I was 10, I started to fundraise as much as I could with my school for little projects uh, uh, that I could support. I had a passion for photography and I had taken these amazing photographs around the world. In two years, I had made $150,000, which I all donated to these, uh, to these projects for other, for other organizations. I say that what I do now is the combination of every single thing I love. Welcome to SeatStars Podcast. SeatStars is an organization that aims to have an impact in emerging markets by supporting the local entrepreneurs, investing in their ventures, but also sharing their story globally because we really believe they are the true heroes. We'll be listening to them and other thought leaders and disruptors that are really shaping the future of tomorrow. And we hope that together we can build a sustainable impact. Welcome to SeatStars podcast. Today I'm quite excited because I'm uh, receiving a dear friend of Alize, who's uh, Lucrezia, um, who's doing an amazing startup in the education sector in Africa. Uh, she has been covered in a lot of on a lot of magazines. Has been elected on the on the Forbes 30 under 30 list, and uh, she also was named amongst the most a uh, hundred most influential Italian women in technology, recognized by by Wired, MIT, etc. Um, so uh, I, I guess a very special guest that we are having today. Um, so um, hello, Lucrezia. Can you maybe introduce yourself? Hi, Pierre. Thank you. It's uh, such an honor to be here with you today. Um, yeah, my name is Lucrezia. I go by Lulu for anyone who can't pronounce my Italian name. Um, I live in Nairobi, Kenya. Um, as you said, I'm, uh, I'm building uh, an entertainment education company for uh, children uh, in Africa and the African diaspora. And um, it's been quite a journey so far. I look forward to telling you all about it. So you, you've been, like I said, men, you've been covered in a lot of magazines. So you have, you're now kind of famous somehow. Uh, how do you leave this fame? <laughs> I don't know if, I, if, I, if I'm famous. Um, I think uh, as, as most entrepreneurs would say, it's always vanity metrics uh, that don't really matter. It's obviously humbling and, and, and amazing every time press comes out and, and, you know, a further opportunity to, for people to know about our work. Um, but for sure, you know, the most satisfying part is being able to do what we do every day. Um, my company and, and my work is my passion. So I feel extremely lucky to uh, be working in something that I strongly believe in that can change the world and that I, I absolutely love. And do you think that it helps you as well? Like all the, these, these awards and, and covers that, that you have? Yes, for sure. It's always opportunities to great to meet uh, great people and 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 great connections. Uh, um, it, it depends in the when in the life cycle of a company, um, it is it is most important to do that. Sometimes it's it, it can be a distraction, um, but otherwise, you know, we've met uh, a lot of our investors and, and mentors at, at incredible events. So I'm I'm picky with the ones I go to, but um, it's uh, it, it's for sure opportunities at the right time. It's a good one. How do you choose? You said you're picky. How do you choose your, your events and, and, and the places you go to? How, how do I choose? Well, um, I, I think for me, the most important part is um, the, the relevancy uh, of where our company is, is at. So, for example, if we're thinking of distribution deals, um, you know, the animation market is is. The best conference to go at at that time because that's where you meet all the potential broadcasters and and uh, and distributors. Um, if uh, we're in the phase of fundraising, um, there's really good events like Founders Forum um, and 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 you know a, a few others where most of the top investors um, uh, go to. Um, so so I think yeah, it depends in in, in the phase of, of of the company you're at. There's events that are more important than than others depending on what you're trying to do so i think we can go uh, just afterwards on on what you do exactly what's your business but i think that's an interesting point that you're mentioning because there might be some invest some entrepreneurs that are trying to raise money and and looking at, at what you're saying as a, as kind of an advice so for you is, is this how you raise money like through these different events that you attended or is it personal network is it through the coverage that you had how were you able to to raise funding 
So in, initially, so it's, it's, you know, it's all about building a network of people who believe in you. And the sooner that is, the better, because most investors love to follow the journey of an entrepreneur. And I've been very lucky with that because a few of, uh, of my mentors were not only the ones who then became investors, but also the ones who um, later introduced me to the VC funds that then ended up investing in our company. Um, those initial mentors I've met through a mix of events and, and, and personal connections. So I, I think at an early, very early stage, going to a few of these events and, and getting out there and, and, and talking to, to potential investors is a, is a great way to start building that network. And then slowly as kind of, as you grow with your company, um, those initial kind of batch of, of, of supporters and, uh, and uh, um, almost like your personal fan base, I, I like to, to call it, right? It's the ones that send an email, uh, a really warm introduction. Uh, um, and, you know, that's the biggest validation you can have. So the sooner you can get those early supporters that buy into what you're doing and your long-term vision, and uh, the easier then it is to expand that network and, and meet the right uh, investors to to raise around yeah that's really true that's what we're trying to to give as an advice to our entrepreneurs is is uh, trying to maintain that network because uh, it does take time to, like you said to be to build this relationship and investors like us as well like when we are we're following these entrepreneurs sometimes for a couple of months years uh, before doing any investments so i think uh, i tend to agree with you it's very important um and and now you live in in kenya right I live in Kenya, Nairobi, yes, and I, so I found my place on earth. I was in London for the last two years. Um, I'm Italian, so I've lived in, in Rome and, and, uh, and then also in San Francisco for a while. And now I'm in, in Nairobi and I absolutely adore it. So do you see yourself settling for long term in Kenya or? Yeah, I'm, I'm really flexible. I'm a true millennial in that <laughs> spirit in which I... I you know, I can make myself at home almost anywhere. I, I love being in Africa in an emerging um, economy and kind of seeing really um, everything shaping uh, after my eyes. It's almost being, uh, you know, in, the, uh, in Asia 20 years ago or just at the uh, start of the um, dot-com era. It, it, it's really everything is happening now. And, and as an entrepreneur, I really feel that every single tiny thing we do, we immediately see the impact and we're amongst the first few to do it. So that feeling, I think, for, for an entrepreneur is, is incredible. Obviously more challenging because you have less of successful examples to, to follow. And, uh, but, 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 you know, I, I, I like to, to, really, to, to really understand and, and put, uh, connect the dots on, on things that are happening in trends and market opportunities and what's worked elsewhere and how to implement it here. So it's uh, it's almost a playground for an entrepreneur who has uh, kind of that uh, type of uh, mindset. So yeah, it's 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 incredible and, and a privilege to 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 be here. And you come uh, from time to time to you come back uh, to Europe from time to time, right? I do, I do, I I, I travel very often. Um, so I, I, I come back to, to London mainly. Our investors are there, uh, most of them. And, um, and then my family is in Italy. So I also travel to, to Italy often. Yeah. And how is it for you? Because I was talking in another podcast podcast about uh, the fact that sometimes um, it's, it's kind of schizophrenic for me to, to live in both worlds, like uh, where, I don't know, you take a plane and five, five or six hours away, it's so different and the people are living so differently than what you would, you would live, uh, you would experiment in, in Europe, for example. Is it also something that you live and, and, and that, how does, does it impact you? Completely. I mean, you've said it. Um... You know, I've I've noticed many times when I go back to to Italy, it's it's really a, 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 or, or London, it's a different world. Um, especially when you see, you know, people just buying and buying and buying, and and everywhere you go, you spend money and you think you need everything, um, and and then here everything is a little bit more simple, and you have a lot more time. I feel that when I'm in uh, in, in Nairobi, just my days. Um, multiplicated there is so much longer and I have more time to do things and 
yeah, it, it is a big shift. It's it's but you know it's good to have both. I, I I love both. I think it's it's part of me, and and I think the reason why I'm in this I'm on this journey and chose this 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 life is because I have both sides of of that. I love uh, kind of living in an emerging uh, economy and market and 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 continent, and then at the same time um, having you know all the the the, the privileges of of uh, Europe and European countries as well. Yeah, for sure. So I'll come back to your to your journey. It would be very interesting on, on how you, you made that decision actually to live there and, and uh, or, or to basically create your, your company, uh, Kukua, um, in Kenya. And uh, can you tell us more actually about Kukua? What what are you guys doing exactly? Uh, what, what's the purpose of the company? Yes, I'd love to tell you more. So Kukua is uh, an entertainment education company, um, which we can also say edutainment. And uh, we are creating the first uh, African animated franchise for children. Um, and we're creating it around a superhero character, a little girl called uh, Super Sema. She is a superhero, but her powers are her creativity, her determination, and the use of STEM. Um, Um, and uh, and around this character and her story world, we're building an entire franchise. We started with apps that teach kids reading, writing, and math through games. And initially, we created this whole African world because we saw that there were no um, apps, educational apps, that represented uh, um, Africa and that had locally relevant content. And uh, after initial distribution, um, we figured out that one of the, the, the most exciting things for kids was that uh, the, these characters that we had initially created looked like them. Um, and so at the time we were, we were trying to figure out a business model and, and, and a whole opportunity. And uh, uh, our hint was, was the fact that these characters were, were so much loved. And, and so we, we understood that, you know, the opportunity around the character IP is to build a whole franchise, which for us started with apps. It's now uh, moving into an animated, Uh, series which I'll tell you more about it's really exciting uh, which are we are in the midst of the production and then that content creates the demand and the love for the characters in the story world which then can be expanded through licensing and merchandising into toys and uh, books and movies and experiences all the way to um, maybe building the first uh, theme parks uh, all um, super semi inspired around Africa um, so yeah and everything we do is is uh, educational educational and inspiring as well as entertaining. Um, so that's how we, we blended the two things. And the start of this journey is, um, I think it's probably when I was really young, I, at the age of around seven, I started traveling um, in Africa with my family. I come from a, a big family with uh, crazy cool parents who thought that um, me and my brothers and sisters had to see how different the world was from how we were growing up in Rome. Um, and so literally every summer they would throw us in the middle of nowhere um, uh, and to, to see how different the world was. And that for me, I think looking back was was the biggest gift I could have ever received because um, from a very young age I felt uh, like I you know that the world was so big and I wasn't the only one in it and I was a small part of a privileged um, category and uh, and immediately I was I was really inspired from everything that was different uh, from from me and how I was growing up but at the same time felt that it was that it was the same, you know, the kids I was meeting in, in, in Africa and the schools looked just like me and the same aspirations and dreams. So immediately I, I am from a very, very young age, I think I was 10, I started to fundraise as much as I could with my school for little projects uh, uh, that I could support. And then um, it turned into something more serious. At the age of 15, I started um, a, a small non-for-profit that was supporting educational projects in, in Africa. And I was being very entrepreneurial at the time. I, I would sell anything that I could make. So I, I, was, I had a passion for photography and I had taken these amazing photographs around the world. And, uh, and so I sold them at, a, at, at a, I created an exhibition and, and sold these photographs and then later a few other Other events and in two years I had made $150,000 which I all donated to these uh, to these projects for other for other organizations 
And then what happened was that two things. One, my other big passion, um, also since a very young age, was theater and acting. Um, and, uh, and so after high school, I went to drama school in, in Oxford in England. And at the same time, I was continuing with this nonprofit I had created. And soon after drama school, I wanted to have a bigger impact in what I was doing. So a few of my mentors um, suggested I moved to San Francisco to understand how technology could have a much wider impact into the, into the work I was doing um, for education in, in Africa. Um, so I moved to San Francisco. I worked in an accelerator for startups, and that was my opportunity to really um, meet incredible social entrepreneurs and understand the whole technology world and startup world and obviously you know san francisco is is the best bubble to be in when when you're just exposed to that and and it was pretty life-changing soon after this 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 period there i applied to singularity university which was a game changer for me um singularity university is all about um using exponential technologies to have a huge impact in the world and their motto is impact a billion people over the next 10 years. Um, so that for me was what really pushed my thinking into a moonshot mindset and um, after that I was committed to um, not only dedicating my life to solving one of the biggest problems in the education space um, in Africa um, but also to doing so in a way that it could be um, super scalable and impactful and at the same time you can create a billion dollar company around it so that was my my little moonshot <laughs> um and here i am <laughs> at it <laughs> but that's that's extremely interesting so you touch base on, on a lot of different topics here that i that i want to to dig deeper in one of them is um the fact that you started at a very young age actually with a non-profit and then you've decided to go uh, and launch uh, Kukwa, which is a for-profit uh, company. Why are you do why doing this shift, actually? What was the rationale behind it? Yeah, so I, I figured out that, um, you know, constantly having to rely on raising grants uh, um, would have impacted the, the amount of impact I could have. Um, it wasn't easy to find... A, a solution to be both a for-profit and an impactful project uh, and it and it took quite some time to figure out the right combination of both but basically the the, the easy answer to that is is I think that the more um, successful a company is um, and you know the more impact we can have the better people we can hire because you know um there is so much talent out there and and uh, we come from a generation of people who want to have you know both purpose uh, um jobs but also you know um, have have a successful job that um makes them a lot of money and i don't think the two can cannot go in hand in hand um i i think it's a challenging uh, journey to go into but it's so rewarding. I, I couldn't be doing anything else. I, I, I think um, for, for me, having both the entrepreneurial aspect and building a, a company like any other for-profit company, and at the same time, knowing that everything we do is, is changing the world is, is so rewarding. Do you, do you think it's more difficult, actually, to have these both, so both of these objectives at the same time? Um, I, I think it is it is a big challenge, um, but there are so many there are so many good things that come with it. First of all, you know, I look at my team and everyone is incredibly mission driven because of the impact. So you know, you can create a culture that is beyond anything because you're not only relying on on you know on, on, on making money and profits. That's a big part of it and it's essential. But at the end of the day, what motivates our, our team to work overnight and 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 and, uh, and and really put their heart into every little thing they do is the fact that we're on a mission that can change the world and, and they see the impact we have every day. And, uh, and I think that's a big trend with, with people uh, that I'm seeing when, when we hire people, it's, you know, they want to, they want to know they're, they're contributing to leaving a mark in this world. Um, so 
it has helped a lot in, in attracting really good talent. And even in, with investors, I must say, um, and this is a whole new topic, but you know, when we were raising around, we I didn't know in the beginning if it was going to be a mix of impact investors or just purely like you know VC um, more normal investors or um, a combination of both. And at the end of the day, we um, we didn't have one fund that consider itself an impact investor because our business model made sense. Um, but the fact uh, that we were also doing something really important that was just a mega plus to them, right? Because, you know, all of these, these people are, are, are human and if, and if they know they can invest in a company that not only kind of ticks the box of, of returns and everything, but also can, 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 can be really impactful, then, then that's amazing. Who doesn't want that, right? But, uh, you know, um, education is, you, you tend to think that it's a public good. Um, so making money out of education might be criticized also in one way or another. Um, is it also something that you face or, or not really? Yeah, absolutely. And and I'll tell you how our business model works. But so so for us, it was really challenging to come up with with an education business model because ed tech is really hard to monetize. Um, and uh, and so the way we we address that is that our structure of our company is really the one of an entertainment company. So think of Disney. Disney has at its core um, character properties like Mickey Mouse or all the Disney princesses. And around these characters, it creates um, hugely successful franchises that start with a movie or with a, with a series and then moves into um, toys and, and, and licensing opportunities. And that's how they make money. So for the children, um, you know, uh, you're not really selling them anything. Your, most of the money comes from licensing and merchandising. I'll give you an example. Um, Peppa Pig, um, which is one of the most uh, successful characters out there um, and the most loved right now, uh, was making $2 billion on, on annual revenue just from licensing and merchandising and then got sold to Hasbro, which is a toy company, um, for $4 billion. This was last year. Um, so, so that's our model, but our difference is everything we produce, our content, the toys, everything has an educational angle. So our animated series is highly inspiring and empowering, and I'd love to tell you more about it. And, and you know, the toys that we'll be making will all be around STEM. And um, so, they, so they go in hand in hand. We never have to choose whether it's education or if, or if it's profit. And it's, it's a consumer um, business. Yeah, and and so it does it mean that it's free? So the education part and the the um, entertainment part is free then for the children. Yeah, so so our content for now is uh, mainly on YouTube. So we're we're really focusing on building a, a huge YouTube community and audience and fan base. Um, we have uh, we're also airing on the largest uh, um, East Africa uh, free to air TV channel. Um, so. Um, the way it works with TV channels is they pay you to put you on, 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 on air. They pay for your content. They license your content, the rights to show your content. And, uh, and then with toy companies, the model is that you, um, you, you make a, a, also a, a licensing deals and they create a whole line of toys based out of your story world. And you get a percentage revenue from all the toys that are sold. Um, and to come back on the character, you've chosen uh, a woman. Was it on, on purpose? Yes, of course. I mean, the, the, the representation on media for, for women and for people of color is almost uh, in existence. So there's, there's really an untapped opportunity over there. And, and we've seen that, you know, for kids to see themselves represented positively on screen is, is a huge game changer. Once there's this quote that I love that says, if you can, um, if you see it, you can be it, mm. which is true, you know? So if, if millions of girls around Africa um, uh, fall in love with Super Sema and, and the story world and see that she's a 10 year old girl, she's just like, 
them. We've specifically not made her into a magical superhero so that her powers are not um, invented, but are real. She has this secret lab on top of this house where she lives in, where she creates super cool um, tech inventions and robots and 3D printers. And she uses science and she's fighting this, uh, this uh, heartless uh, robot called Tobor, who's trying to steal all the knowledge from the people. So it's really, it, it, it's really like a, a kid power um, show um, representing Africa in a, a completely Afrofuturistic and aspirational way. The other thing we've seen is that Africa is always represented in, in, in shows uh, through the lenses of poverty and corruption and, uh, and, and all these negative aspects, which is not what 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 I see and what you know all uh, the people that I think live here see I, we, we see it as as a super thriving innovative uh, um, aspirational continent uh, with uh, you know full of young people that are extremely entrepreneurial um, and uh, and and change makers and makers and use technologies in really advanced ways sometimes even more advanced than other places in the world so so this is the Africa that we're showing into into our animated series um, with with the hope, you know, that kids, the, the whole point is for kids to believe in themselves, right? After having the literacy, the numeracy skills uh, that we teach through our apps, uh, the next most important thing is to for children to have self-belief, to know that they too can do it, that there's nothing they can't do. Um, and, and, you know, if we, if we always represent these children as starving and in poverty, you know, they'll never think that they have an opportunity at becoming the next tech entrepreneur or president or doctor or, or anything else they dream of. So um, giving them self-belief is, is crucial. And, and then we think media and children's cartoons um, are, are, can play a huge role and travel really far. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's why we're trying to promote as much as, as possible um, and people like you and other entrepreneurs and other inspiring people that are launching things so that people can can hopefully take, take that as an example. Um, and, and it seems to me, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that character that you're doing is... There is, a, there is a bit of Lucrezia in, in this character. Uh, seems like a very powerful, uh, like taking risks, adventurous as well. Is that the case? I, that's a huge compliment. I, 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 if I were even a, a tiny bit of Super Sema, I, I would be very happy for myself. I think um, Super Sema was inspired by the real girls that we've met uh, out there who are just like her and who deserve to be represented that way. So, um, you know, we have another show on YouTube, which is called Super Kids, um, in which we interview for three minutes uh, super kids around Africa. And these are six-year-old founders or, uh, you know, mm -hmm. seven-year-old coders or um, uh, chess players or uh, ballerinas and tiny chefs. And we tell their story and how amazing they are just to show that, you know, the way we see the next generation of kids in Africa, we call it the super hero generation they're totally going to take over this world and and uh, and we all need it right so so yeah super sama was was inspired uh, by them to, to come back on the gender topic is it something that that you you felt yourself was it a challenge for you as a um, as a white woman entrepreneur in africa uh, somehow or or not at all like you didn't see any difference so I'm, I'm, I'm lucky, not, not at all. Um, you know, I do this very authentically. Sometimes I wish I was black, <laughs> but I, you know, I've, I've, I've been putting myself as much as possible in, in, in their shoes uh, to, to try and understand uh, really the essence of, of the problem. And I think that's at the heart of every entrepreneur who works in an emerging market is really using human centered design approaches to really understand the problems and what type of solutions that can be implemented and then you know most of our team is uh, is african um and actually super diverse we have a million different backgrounds and come from from so many different uh, places so I, I think our core strength here is diversity and looking at things from a diverse perspective like no one ever has the same opinion and or has been brought up in the same way and that's so valuable because it means we're always having different um you know di different um uh, 
opportunities to look at things in, in a different way. Um, and, uh, and then in terms of, you know, of, of being an entrepreneur, uh, women, um, I, I, I was lucky. I, I never felt that I, I am grew up with, with, uh, with a family that gave me a lot of confidence and, and brothers and sisters that always supported me. And that really helped me, um, kind of, um, you know, believing in myself, um, and mentors, especially, I, I think, you know, the, the one thing I always say that for women is, is harder is believing in oneself. And so, as you say, kind of role models uh, really help us because um, that's how we know that we too can do it and we can do so at the highest possible standards. I remember when I was raising my, my first round and it was my first time ever doing it, I was looking at tinier funds and this and that. And then one of my mentors said uh, here's a list of funds you should reach out to these were all like the top funds out there and I was like okay and inside of me I knew that these were the right funds and the ones I wanted and uh, but you know it took someone to tell me go pitch them you're totally worth it um, and and this company is worth it um, and so I did and, and we did end up um, raising funds from from top in class investors, which is, which is incredible. And, and um, yeah, so, so. I think that that's very interesting. We, we, you know, we are trying to push also internally um, uh, the women. We have one of our values, uh, get out of your comfort zone. And usually uh, that's what we're trying to do with, with um, all the women working us because they tend to, uh, to be super shy somehow. And if, for example, if there is a, a there is a position, a new position coming up. Um, they will be uh, always coming up with an answer like, I don't know, maybe I'm not capable of, whereas the man, you know, with big ego would say, of course I can, etc." And it's always difficult as a manager to say, you know, to, to take the route of the woman because you would naturally go for the one that looks more confident. Doesn't mean more capable of. Uh, usually it's even the contrary. Uh, so we try to push really uh, the women to get out of, of their comfort zone. Um, and I think that's also the the way to go. I don't know if you would agree with that. Hundred percent. And and I do think the biggest thing you can do for a woman is telling her you believe in her already. That changes, you know, years and years of of unconfidence and 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 really gives you that push to break barriers because we do have that confidence inside. It just needs to be unleashed. But even the 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 most shy because you know confidence comes from knowing. Um, knowing what you're doing and and women do know what they do because most of the times they wouldn't even get into it if they if you know if they didn't have this excellence within them um and so sometimes it's just you know someone telling them it's okay to to let that out and then they'll go and grab it for sure i fully agree and do you think that it comes a bit from from your your parents or your relatives um because it seems like they they open uh, your eyes to a lot of the things so they, they seem to be very uh, very open-minded um is it coming from them or do you i know were there any other people that influenced you a bit as well no very much from my parents and my and my family unit uh, um since since i was very young you know i we had guests at the dinner table um i could always speak and say my opinion and i was asked my opinion um i was always supported in being different and that's something my parents really valued and and didn't mind you know after high school all of my um all of my friends were going to university and my passion was acting and theater so i told them i wanted to go to drama school and i told them i wanted to go to the best drama school out there and they supported that they didn't mind that i wasn't doing university um and and even more so i didn't get into any drama schools on the first year and i had applied to uh seven of them and went through over 50 rounds of auditions and so that full year when everyone was starting university, I was at home. And that's when I started um, expanding my non-for-profit work and being really creative about what I was doing. And some other parents might have freaked out that you have, you know, an 18 year old, uh, you know, not really kind of wasting a year. Um, but they trusted me that I was, you know, making the most out of my time that I really, I felt responsible for it for that year. And I wasn't going to waste it, but I was just going to use it in a, in a different way. And, uh, and then I got into drama school the following year after reapplying. And, and, and so, you know, it, it, I think 
it's very it was very brave for them to to follow through and they always did so in a not in a like they wanted to know that me or my brothers and sisters were, were working and doing things but always with as you said a very open mind and and trust in in in, in our abilities and that meant so much to me where does it come from are they entrepreneurs uh, themselves or is it cultural or where does it come from no they're 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 not really entrepreneurs uh, um they're just uh, my superhero parents <laughs> <laughs> and, and even my brothers and sisters I, mu- i must say they're you know we're all really close and having that uh family support especially as an entrepreneur you really need it you know my the first uh few thousand dollars uh, that I raised uh, um, were from um, the the salary bonus of my older brother mm. and uh, and yeah and then you know each one of them has really helped in in different ways uh, throughout uh, the entire journey and you know when your older brother is trusting you that what you're doing is is good that that feels pretty great <laughs> when you're <laughs> you're like wow okay if he believes in this then maybe i'm up to something those are your first supporters that's amazing that's really amazing to have i think that crowd around you uh, it's it's extremely important um and all that that mindset that you said like you could even say what you can speak out in in the dinners etc that's also something that we've seen in emerging markets um it's not necessarily the case it's culturally it's completely different where uh you need to basically shut up uh listen especially in the education sector where Uh, you need to listen to what the the, the professors are, are saying. For example, we, we were in, a, I can remember, we were in, in Brazil and I can remember talking to, to this guy that told me that the first time the professor asked him to, to challenge what he was saying was at university level. So you had, you had to wait until university level to being asked to challenge what the professor was, was saying. So I think that's also something that we, we can be very lucky sometimes in some environments um, or, or cultures, we are much more open to that. And I guess that has a big, big impact afterwards on, on how people behave in their career and personal life. Um, so yeah, that was my take on that. Sorry. I feel very lucky to have had that. Um, now how, how did you end up, uh, in Kenya in the education sector? Because, um, that's, uh, if you think about it, you wanted to be an actress first. So there's something happened. Yeah. Okay. There, there was your, your nonprofit, I guess it was a, a big part of the, of the influence. Uh, was there all, otherwise a pivotal moment where you said, okay, but it's not acting that I want to do. It's basically hel- helping children, uh, in Kenya. How, 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 you know, I guess it's, it's a journey, but it, was there a moment or someone or something that really made you take that decision? Yeah, so, so, so this for me is, is the biggest connection of dots of, of my whole journey. And it really goes back to when I was, uh, I was eight years old. Um, I say that what I do now is the combination of every single thing I love. And, uh, and I'm really lucky to have kind of crammed them all into <laughs> one thing. Because if you think about it, the education part um, is there because we're making educational products. The entertainment angle is still there because we tell stories and, uh, and you know, acting is about becoming a storyteller. Um, my highly entrepreneurial spirit turned into, you know, the company that I'm building now and the whole impact and Africa angle is, is our market. And um, therefore, you know, all of these things, I don't know if it's immediately apparent to, to, to people who've who've uh who are listening to this for the first time but uh definitely for me it was a way to to have you know not to be to to i didn't have to say no to all these these passions i i now can really have them all into my everyday life and and work which is incredible um of course um before getting to this uh, it took a while and it took times in which i was only doing acting and then i i decided that i couldn't do that anymore and then i decided to just focus on on starting my company and uh and then now slowly you know it it all turned into one um into one beautiful thing excellent and um you're operating in an emerging market it's it's very challenging i've lived also myself in, in emerging markets we're operating there um and 
and we know it's not it's a very difficult environment uh, what's the most challenging part for you operating in these markets hmm. the most challenging um part of working in an emerging market uh, is um i think i mean for us a specific one was distribution and understanding you know how to reach as many people as possible and the whole tv opportunity came into place and the whole smartphone opportunity came into place a little bit afterwards because initially our apps for example were ipad based and we were thinking we had this this uh, utopic vision of, of all kids having ipads in school and and then and then we saw you know what the one thing that already all parents have even in the low income communities is smartphones so we translated all our of our content into apps that were um, specific for smartphones. And then even there, the challenges were, okay, how do you create an app that is um, light enough, that has the technical requirements that can work anywhere, um, even in the lowest, uh, the low income communities. So there was a little bit of technical challenges there. And then, you know, understanding how do we scale this and how do we get this character and this, you know, Super Sam out there. And that's when TV came into place and we said, wow, you know, TVs are still huge in, 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 uh, in Africa and, and uh, even in the low income communities and, and you know, everywhere. Um, so, so we thought that was a big, you know, uh, distribution, uh, distribution channel. And I think you have to be... The other thing with emerging economies is that it, they're, they're evolving. So it's a long-term view. And I think convincing your investors about that long-term opportunity, you know, for normal companies is 10 years. Um, I say we're on a 50-year journey and that's the company I want to create. And, uh, and I, you know, on the good side, on the positive side and note, you really have the opportunity to create a monopoly because it's it's untapped. There isn't a Disney of of, of, of Africa. There isn't a Tencent of Africa. You have one in, in the US, in Europe, in, in China, in, in, in Asia, but in, in Africa, everything needs to be built. So if you have the that kind of determination to see for the long run and you are able to attract investors that believe in that. And I think I would say at the same time, have a short-term um, also strategy. For us, for example, um, you know, we we feel that the majority of our consumer products uh, will most likely be sold in the U.S. in the African diaspora. So, with the people who have the same exact problem, they lack content that you know represents children and that looks like them. Um, so, I, I think that in the short term is is super useful to have as a market opportunity, and and then in the long run, I think the opportunity is in Africa. It's funny because. Because uh, you know you have the the default I think of all entrepreneurs. Uh, when we you when I ask you about challenges, you talk to me about opportunities, and uh, <laughs> I think I get the same. Uh, so I can totally understand. But uh, but that's uh, I think a, a really entrepreneurial mindset that that you that you're showing here. Um, and and any big challenge that you faced uh, in the past uh, in the past four years were uh, where I don't know. Um, maybe cash flow issues or some other big challenges that you face where you were saying, okay, now that's, that's the end or, or, you know, I give up. So at the start of, um, Kukua's journey, we were running for a big, um, prize. It was called the global learning X prize. And it was a $10 million, um, challenge to create literacy and numeracy apps, um, that can function in, in, in Africa. And uh, I, I, I started this journey with, uh, you know, the highest of ambitions and we worked so hard and it was a two year challenge. And the, the beginning of, of, of the whole journey was set on that, on winning this prize. And, um, and you know, we went through so much, even to, to build the initial apps and product, we convinced uh, a few um, investors who invested from an impact perspective. So the first money we raised were, were grants, although we were always a for-profit company. Um, they put the money in on the basis that we would win this prize and, uh, and have a massive impact in Africa and all of that. And, uh, you know, by the end of it, there were a few teams and we were 
definitely one of the potential winners from what we understood and kind of the general momentum around what we were building. And also, you know, we had spent so much time understanding how kids were learning how to read and write and building you know, three years of content for them and, 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 and gathering world literacy experts and top in class. So we really had that granular understanding of what we were doing and the problem we were solving. And we were sure we were going to win or at least get into the top five and then the top three. And, uh, and after two years on the day that we were, we were going to get the results for the semifinals, I, I received the call from, from the, from the director of the X Prize, and uh, and and I and I answer the phone, and I say, finally, the good news. And then he said, and I will never forget this. He said, Lucrezia, I don't know how to tell you this. I don't know what happened with the judges, but you weren't selected. And literally, my world crashed, and I wanted to run away and and just hide because you know we had made such a big deal of winning this prize to investors to you know even for the mission of our company this this was huge this was going to be the way to reach all kids and create more products and everything was on that and it crushed us especially because we were not anticipating this in a million years um so obviously you know communicating that to our team to investors and all of that was really really hard and uh and and that to me to date was was one of the hardest challenges um it also was uh, the biggest uh, opportunity of our um company's life because that's when i understood and kind of reflected on the company that I always had wanted to create, which was for-profit impact company, which needed a distribution strategy and a business model. So I think we had at the time 30K left on our bank account. <laughs> and I took those, you know, reduced all costs, everything, and took six months um, to come up with a plan to raise a seed round in six months time um, from world-class investors with the opportunity of being a billion dollar company and having the biggest impact. And that's what we did. And if it wasn't for, for, for that prize, we would have never gone into the Disney of learning um, direction and, and what we're creating now. So it was, you know, it turned into, into an opportunity. Yeah, like every failure is, is a learning and an opportunity. I agree with you. And that's, uh, that's really amazing. That's a, that's a great story, by the way. Um, I, have, I would love to discuss even more. And I think there are so many, so many points that we haven't touched base on. Um, but I wanted to, to just, uh, we have a few questions that we ask to our guests. Um, and the first one is, what is the, the impact that you intend to have in the future? Is it something that you've maybe measured? You have a number or, or something? So our ambition is to reach every single child uh, uh, and household in, uh, in Africa um, through our TV series, uh, animated series that's coming out. And, um, and then, you know, we will understand the impact of that by, you know, how many children watch that and how many children get converted to then the apps and the books and all the other products that will um, will come out. The, the goal is to be, um, you know, the new Dora, the Explorer, that was for South America, but for Super Sema to be the most loved uh, and inspiring character um, in Africa and for her to become a role model for so many girls uh, who can look up to her um, and, and envision their future. Um, and, uh, and especially kind of go through the whole life cycle of the franchise and being able to then create toys and, uh, live experiences and shows. And for this to really be the brand in Africa for, for children. That's, that's very ambitious. Um, but that's great. I think, uh, and, and how many jobs uh, did you create so far with, with the company? So, so right now, and, and we are in the midst of a, an animated production, so we have storyboard artists, animators, and writers and producers who are on for this production, and hopefully for many more, because we just keep on going with creating content, but our team is uh, roughly around 30, um, predominantly women, all of the senior management is, is women, and, uh, and we are based between uh, Nairobi, um, Italy, and uh, the US. Okay. 
And uh, could you refer a book, a podcast, or a documentary that you think is is worth uh, worth sharing? The last book I read always becomes my favorite in, in the world, but I think this one is really my favorite forever. and <laughs> I will never change my mind. It's The Ride of a Lifetime by Bob Iger, who is the CEO of Disney. Well, he, he just stepped down after the most extraordinary career and um, his lessons of leadership um, are absolutely invaluable. And, and anyone, not only in a, in a media or entertainment company, but anywhere else, uh, I, I think it's really worth uh worth reading because the integrity and um and vision that he had from day one into shaping the last 20 years of disney into you know the most successful years of that company is is, is amazing and it's written really well uh, you literally i read it in a day <laughs> so yeah ride of a lifetime by bob Iger is the book okay good to know and um what are your company values So our company values are, um, we hold five values. We are um, mission-driven. Um, we are relentlessly imaginative. Uh, we are magical. Um, we um, are positive. And we have a growth mindset. Okay. And these are published on our website. And we go back to them every uh, six months to make sure they still resonate and we hold on to them. We feel that um, the most important part of, of building a company and, and a culture and a team that has a lot of chemistry and can survive challenges and, and, uh, and uh, be there for the long run is having uh, uh, a culture based on strong values that we all feel strongly about. I couldn't agree more. We we also came up with the values when we we're about fifty, uh, uh, and we we had that need. And especially we are a remote company, so uh, and that's now the glue of of the whole the whole group. I think that's what makes us, uh, uh, I think, somehow successful. So fully agree with you. Um, uh, what word, quote, or phrase best describes you? My favorite word is um, unstoppable. Because I, I think entrepreneurs need to be unstoppable. And I don't say that with pressure. I just, uh, um, I just say it in a way that there is always a way around things. And it is our job to find it. As I told you, you are our hero, um, our sister's hero. Can you share with us one, uh, one of your heroes? Okay, one of my heroes is Oprah Winfrey. Um, she is one of the most successful women out there. Um, she's come from a tough background. She's built a media empire. Um, she has all the sort of human qualities of, of a leader, but also just as a woman that I absolutely adore, her empathy, her spirituality. And, uh, and then she's an amazing storyteller and she managed to get all the way to you know, running one of the most successful uh, media companies out there. So she's definitely my hero and my inspiration. And I know that she is as well for so many people in my company and also the, the people, the same families and kids that we want to impact. We say if, you know, if Super Samma was, uh, if, if Oprah Winfrey was, was a little girl, she was Super Samma. And so are so many other successful women of color who have uh, achieved so much, like Serena Williams as well is, is, is amazing in a different field. Thank you uh, so much. Uh, can I call you Lulu now? <laughs> thank you so much Lucrezia for, for, uh, for uh, your time today thank you for listening to our hero's journey and subscribe now for more stories on Seed Stars podcast